All right, well, uh, please open your Bibles to the book of 1 Peter. We're going to be looking at 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. And we're going to be talking about being sojourners. This is what God has called us to. Uh, this is who we are as Christians uh, living in this land as we wait for Christ to return. And so I pray that we're encouraged this morning uh, in that. I pray that we're strengthened in that. And that is, uh, that is the hope for us this morning. Um, I've had the, uh, the opportunity to go to New Zealand twice in my life. And it's amazing. It's one of those tr th places where I'm like, everybody needs to have it on their bucket lip list. Everyone needs to go to New Zealand at least once in their life because uh, it's just, it's beautiful. The mountains are uh, spectacular uh, and the people are awesome. The food is great. There's so much to do and see there. And so uh, I would suggest put that on your bucket list. But uh, every time I've gone to New Zealand, and, and I find this is like true about like if I spend any certain amount of time in any one place, you ever notice that you start to kind of like pick up like the different sayings that they use or you'll start kind of speaking the way they speak and acting the way they act because you, you kind of want to start to kind of like fit into the culture. And so when I was in New Zealand, I spent a couple weeks one time and another couple, couple almost a couple weeks the second time. And, and, I, and I have a good friend down there who I love and he comes to the States and we, we drive, we'll drive to Indiana to go see him because that's where his in-laws are, him and his wife. And, and so we just keep in touch. And so like I'm down there in New Zealand and I start wanting to talk like I'm from New Zealand. And I start saying like, you know, some of their sayings and their phrases like sweet as, which is not what you think you just heard. Sweet as, A-S, not three S's or two S's. I can spell. So I'd say sweet as, which means like, oh, that's cool. That's great. Or I would start saying like, no worries. Like that's one they say a lot. No worries. No worries, mate. Or I'd say keen, which they would say like, hey, you want to go to the store? Like, yeah, I'm keen to do that. And so I would start trying to talk like them. And, and like, they're looking at me like, dude, you're not, you're not one of us. Stop using our phrases. Just chill. Like, it's okay. Like, you're from America. Did you forget that? And I wanted, like, my whole life, I wanted to be from New Zealand. Like, I, want, I wished I was born in New Zealand. I would be at least four feet taller and much stronger because they're, they're big. They're huge, strong dudes. But... I'm, it's obvious to them that I'm an outsider, that I'm a foreigner, but I want so badly to be part of their culture. And this, this is the tension. This is the same tension that we as Christians live with every day of our life. We live with that tension that, that we're sojourners in this life, that we don't belong to the culture, and that it's, uh, it, we look a little odd, we look a little different, we act a little odd and different in the eyes of the culture what we are is temporary residents, but our citizenship is in the kingdom of God. And that's what a sojourner essentially is. It's someone who is temporarily residing in a foreign place. It's not their home. They're foreigners. And so it's not just a visitor like I was in New Zealand who's passing through, who's here today and then going to spend a couple days and then move on and go back home, but it's somebody who's actually residing for a long period of time in a place that's not their home. And so we are temporary residents. We live here while we wait for the kingdom of God. And so let's look at uh, our passage this morning because Peter is writing to Christians who are living in ex exile. 
They're, they're actually physically in exile, and they're living as foreigners in places where they're not citizens. And so Peter is using their current status, the current situation that they're in, as sojourners to remind them of the hope that they have in the gospel, in Christ, and encourage them to live as sojourners, to live as those who belong to the kingdom of God and not to the kingdom of the world. And he's going to encourage them. So let's, let's look at our passage together this morning. 1 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 3. And he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him, now you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Let's pray. God, help us this morning and each morning that we wake to to, to contemplate and to, to realize and understand the riches that we have in Christ, the benefits of our salvation, the joy of our salvation, the hope of our salvation. And God, may it strengthen us as we live as foreigners in this world, as we long, as our, our bodies groan for the kingdom of God and for the return of Christ. May we be filled with hope. May we have in our hearts, the peace of Christ ruling in us. May we not be led to worry or fear. May we not lose our course or our way and forget our first love, but may you strengthen our eyes and our hearts to see the hope we have in Christ. We pray this in your name. Amen. So this passage that we're in this morning is uh, setting the premise for the rest of 1 Peter, where he'll tell them how to live as the people of God. And so he's setting this premise that, listen, I'm going to give you some instruction here on how to live as the people of God and how we ought to act as sojourners, but I want you to know the, the cause for all this. I want you to know the why. Why can we live like this, and how can we live like this? And he points to this future glory, this future hope that we have. He points to our salvation. And he says, listen, your hope is in Christ who died for you. And so that's what we're going to see this morning in our passage, that the promise of future glory gives the believer courage to pursue godliness and persevere while living in so, as sojourners. Let me say that again. The promise that God gives us of future glory gives the believer the courage to pursue godliness 
and persevere while living as sojourners. And so we're going to look at this uh, in our passage this morning in two sections. First, the promise of future glory, and then we're going to look at the encouragement to pursue godliness while persevering as sojourners. And so first we see the promise of future glory, and I'm just going to read it again from verse 3 to 5. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Right? We're going to praise God for these things. May God be blessed for what he has done. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. This is our great hope. Peter tells us that God has caused us to be born again to a living hope. He has worked this out in our lives by his power, and he's caused us to be born again to this living hope. And, and this is good news, that we are born again to this living hope. We had to be born again because, like Ephesians 2.1 says, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. And so this is good news to us when we read this this morning. That's why Paul's saying, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're receiving, we've received such good news. May we praise his name and be excited about the hope that he has given us, a living hope. He has made us new. We are born again because we were dead in our sins and trespasses. Now, being dead in your sins and in your trespasses seems like uh, a hopeless situation, right? Because we are dead in our sins and we need to be born again, and that seems like, how does that even happen? It seems like an impossible thing. When something's dead, it's dead. It doesn't come back to life and start walking unless Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. But we know, like, this is the reality. Like, like, I've got a dog at home, and she's in her golden years, and, like, I love this dog. This dog has been with me through some hard times. Sarah has adopted this dog as, as hers. We also have kids, and we love our kids, but this, this relates to the dog. And our dog is getting older, and our dog is, like, having to eat soft food, and our dog is kind of, like, walking slower, and I'm just watching my dog age, and I'm like, Libby, don't, don't die at me. Because death is final. When Libby dies, our family will mourn because she will not be coming back to life. And so if I didn't already know the end of the story, the end of the redemptive story, and how it plays out, this would be the part of the movie where I would be like, those fools are toast. They're dead in their sin. They're done. There's no way they're getting out of that one. But something powerful and miraculous happened. Jesus died and rose from the dead. How has God caused us to be born again to a living hope? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's how. And like Romans 4, 6, 4 through 5 says, we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too 
might walk in the newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Right? Jesus died and so we died with him, but Jesus rose from the dead and so we rise with him. Because he rose, we will rise. And that is our hope. And if you are not hoping in that, if your faith is not in Jesus, then you are dead in your sin. And we would plead with you, we would encourage you, we would ask you to consider Christ and to consider what he has done by dying on the cross for our sins and by being raised from the dead so that we may have new life with him. And we would encourage you and ask you to put your faith and trust in that because if your faith is not in Jesus, then you are dead in your sins. But if your faith is in Jesus, you have been made alive with him. And not only that, but the hope we have in the resurrection of Jesus is a living hope. It literally gives life. It is living because of its efficacy to save us from sin and death, opposed to a hope that is dead because it's futile. There are many things that many people are hoping in that are dead because they're futile. They don't have the power to save. They don't have the power to give life. Only Jesus, in his death and resurrection, has the power to give life and to give us a hope that is a living hope. A hope that we see in our passage that is is an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. So even while we wait for Christ to return and we wait for these things to come to fruition and and we wait for the, the full redemptive story to come to its final resting place and we are with eager anticipation groaning for the kingdom of heaven, we have this hope now in this life that these things are secure, they're guaranteed. They're not futile. It's a living hope. And we see this guarantee in verse 4 and 5, which we just read, of future glory. Not a lot of things in this life are secure. There's not a lot of permanency. There's not a lot of dependency in this life on anything. Not finances or health or freedom or comfort or any earthly treasure Like, these things are fleeting. They could be here and then gone. So why are you hoping in these things? We ought not to hope in these things. We ought to hope in the thing which is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, in which God is keeping us for. It's kept in heaven for you, and and we are kept for it by the power of God. So put your hope and your faith in that. It's a future glory because as it says, it's an inheritance. An inheritance is something that you don't have yet, but you're waiting for. It will be received at a later time. It's something that you are owed or promised. 
You're owed because of the promise, but it's not here yet. So it's a future hope. It's a future glory. And it's to be revealed in the last time. We're waiting. Like Hebrews 9.28 says, Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. And so Christ in his first coming, he comes to deal with sin. He comes to square off with sin and death and to defeat it and to claim victory over it. And he does that by dying on the cross, the perfect and spotless lamb with no sin, to be our propitiation, to be the the forgiveness of our sins, to bear the wrath of God upon himself in our place. He deals with sin and death. And he raises from the dead that we might have life and that it might be secure in him. But then in his second coming, he will appear a second time, it says, not to deal with sin. He's already done that. He's already dealt with sin. But to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. That's us. Aren't we eagerly waiting for him? He will make all things new. He will will eradicate all sin in the world, he will reclaim his creation and make it his own. Right? We, we're experiencing a taste of that, but, but these things will come to fruition. There will be no more sorrows or tears or, or fears or worries. And the greatest part is that we will be with him in his presence. Think about that. And so... Because of this, we ought to pursue godliness while persevering as sojourners. Look at what verse 6 through 9 says. In this you rejoice. We rejoice in this great hope that Peter has described to us. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in the praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So Peter says we we are going to have to persevere while we wait for these things to come to pass. And a sojourner is someone who does not enjoy all of the rights and privileges of being a citizen. They're a foreigner. And a foreign resident uh, also doesn't hold to the same values or participate in all the customs of the culture of their host home. Right? They belong to a different culture. They don't belong to a different home. And so they may not participate. They might not even share all the same values of that culture. And so because of this, there's a tension. The tension I mentioned earlier that there's this tension because there's these differences. And it's obvious to the culture that, that this person is different. That this person is not practicing the same values and uh, cultural aspects and customs that we are. And so it puts that person at odds with the culture in which they're living, in which they're a resident, 
but not a citizen of. In many ways, this is, this is how we live as Christians in the world today, as those belonging to the kingdom of God, but residing here while we wait for Christ to return. And those, those differences puts us at odds with the culture and with the world around us. Those differences often lead to suffering. Because when you don't conform to the values of the world, but live out the purposes of God, the world will grow in its contempt for you. And that's okay. Peter tells us that that's okay. Because we can endure that for a season. Because we know that it's a drop in the bucket compared to our eternal inheritance in Christ and the riches that we have him. And even now we experience the blessings of our salvation, the fact that we gather together as the church and we're, we're united with one another and we share the same hope and we encourage each other and we lift each other up and we build each other up and we, we serve one another, right? This is one of the many blessings that we have. And so we see we are experiencing the blessings of our salvation now. And so it's, it's in this that we need to lean into the gospel. It's here that we lean into the gospel. We need to remember the great inheritance that's coming and the blessings of that salvation that we are already experiencing. And this is actually a good thing, to go through trials. Because Peter tells us that, that going through these trials test our faith and prove our faith to be genuine. When you're on this side of a trial, everything's fine and dandy, right? Sunshine and rainbows. That's what I like. I like things to be smooth. I'm a wimp. And then you go through a trial and you are pressed and it's intense and you feel the heat of the furnace and then you keep the faith. In the midst of the trial, you keep the faith. You continue to say, Jesus is my everything. Jesus is my hope. In him, I am okay because my inheritance is secure. And then you come out of the trial and there you stand knowing that your faith is genuine. Knowing that your faith is a sincere faith. As the hymn by Fanny Crosby goes, it truly is a blessed assurance to know that Jesus is mine, to know that I am his. Right? When our faith is tested through the fire, through the crucible, and then it comes out that it is genuine, we can have assurance. The assurance of our salvation. Because genuine faith leads to salvation. Suffering for the name of Jesus is evidence of a genuine faith. Because why else would anyone live that way? Why else would anybody live in a way that causes suffering? If you can go through the, the, the persecution of the world for being different, for being a sojourner, for not sharing the cultural values and, and customs, and if you are ridiculed by the world and you're, you're, you're pressed and you're tested, and you say, you know what, I'm not leaving Christ, I'm digging in, I'm doubling down, my heels are in the dirt, and I'm not going to... Walk away from my faith. I'm going to stand firm in my faith. And you do that, then you know. Because 
Anybody who didn't truly believe would walk away, would run away, would flee. Nobody wants to be persecuted. Nobody wants to go through trials. And so it's evidence of a genuine faith. So stand firm in your faith because the hope that you have is imperishable. Think about that. It's undefiled. It can't be be defiled. It's unfading. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck you from his hand, as the song goes. We rejoice in our suffering because Jesus suffered and died so that we might have the joy of of our salvation. We remember Christ's suffering in the midst of our suffering because he suffered for a purpose that we might be reconciled unto him, unto God. And so we remember his suffering and he did it, his condescending love for us, he did it for the joy that was set before him. He endured the suffering on the cross. And so, uh, this is our great hope. I have a rather lengthy but beautiful quote from Edmund Clowney that I want to share with you that talks about this very thing. So listen closely as I read it. And he says, The gift of God's love, the blood of Jesus Christ, has redeemed Christians from the corrupt and empty lifestyle of their pagan past. That grace now unites them in fervent love for one another. They serve and help one another using the rich spiritual gifts which, with which God's grace equips them. Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the flock of God, watches over his people. He calls under shepherds to serve him in guarding his sheep. The victory of Jesus Christ over all the powers of darkness frees his people from the power of Satan. They can repulse the roaring lion. In the fires of trial, their faith will not be destroyed, but purified like gold in the furnace. They may cast their cares on God, knowing that he cares for them. The grace that already fills Christians with joy will be brought to them fully at the appearing of Jesus Christ. The Lord whom they love but have not seen, they will see and adore, knowing well the doom and darkness from which they were delivered. The new people of God sing forth his praises. Their hallelujahs ring forth from their assemblies, their homes, and even from the prison cells where the fear of God has set them free from the fear of man. Their witness is a witness of praise. Nourished by the unfailing word of God, they taste already the goodness of their Savior. The true grace of God has called them to his glory. Everything, even their sufferings, will serve his purpose, who redeemed them at such a price. I love this because it is is such a reminder to me that we have the greatest reason to rejoice with inexpressible joy. We have the greatest reason to, in the whole world, in the whole universe, in all of history, to rejoice with inexpressible joy. I like to watch uh, clips of America's Got Talent and the highlight reels 
And I, I, I really loved like the stories of like this person came out of nowhere and, and worked real hard and they were, they were, everybody told them you're never going to make it and they get to the stage and they share their talent or they sing their song and, and it's just very moving because they've poured themselves into it. And then, and then I love when somebody gets the golden buzzer. You know what the golden buzzer is? Like when it, they, they don't have to vote, one of the judges just hits that golden buzzer and the gold flakes fall from the sky and everybody's emotional and crying and it's a happy moment and everybody's moved and feels uh, so excited and happy and I'm sitting there watching, you know, on my little phone this happened and I'm starting to cry and I'm getting all weepy and I'm, I'm, I'm moved by this. Then I'm emotional and I'd love to see what Simon Cowell's going to do. Like, is he going to be mean to this person? Which I find entertaining, which is part of my corruption. Or is he going to be like really nice? And I actually like when he's really nice to the person. And I'm like, oh, Simon Cowell was nice and, and shared, you know, kindness with you. And, and I get all weepy and emotional over it and I'm moved by it. And, and, and same thing, I watch a video about a dog who's been rescued and they get the fleas off the dog and the dog has, hasn't been eaten for weeks and was abandoned and somebody, you know, takes this dog in and they, they put rehabilitate the dog and clean up the dog and get the dog healthy and then somebody adopts the dog and I'm just by the end of it I'm weeping I'm like oh that dog someone loves the dog I love the dog and then I'm trying to take Sarah out to the animal shelter and she's like no we don't buy we don't get dogs when you're emotional after watching dog videos like that's not what we're gonna do and so she stops me from doing that but I'm I'm realizing that like why am I so moved by these things to the point of tears, to the point of feeling this like joy in my heart for this little dog that got a home. And then I come to church on Sunday and I'm, I'm hearing the gospel preached and I'm singing these songs uh, that point me to the, the goodness and the power and the might and the glory of God. And I'm, I'm kind of like, uh, yeah, I've heard that before. And I'm not moved. I'm not passionately stirred within me. And I'm saddened by that because this ought to move us. When we read this, the first part of 1 Peter uh, chapter 1, verse 3, we ought to be moved by this. When we think about and meditate about what Christ has done in his condescending love for us and that he, he was nailed to a tree for us. He bled and died for us. And that he gives us so great an inheritance by raising from the dead for us and calls us to himself. And even though we were yet still sinners, Christ died for us. He loved us when we were his enemies. This ought to move us. This ought to stir us and stir our affections for God with inexpressible joy. And that is what we have in this life while we wait for Christ. And so bring it on. Bring on the suffering. Because I have inexpressible joy in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And here's what happens. Suffering is the product of godly living in this present age. We talked about how the culture, how the world will press against us when we pursue holiness and godliness. In verse 13 through 15, you can look at it. Paul describes what it looks like to live in the nowness of our salvation while waiting for Christ to return as we put off the old way of life and live as sojourners who belong to God. And he says this, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you 
at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in your conduct. We're to live as sojourners. This is not my home. This is not my hope. I'm not going to put my hope in the things of this world. But my treasure is in heaven, as Jesus taught, as Peter heard Jesus teach, that we are to store up treasures in heaven. Our hope is there. And he says again in in verse 2, Chapter 2, verse 11, he says, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. And so this is, he's, he's calling us to godly living, right? He says, this is the great hope that you have, and, and this, in this hope you can endure the, the suffering that will inevitably come because you live godly lives in this life, he says, I love this, if you, if you noticed, in verse 6, he says, in this you rejoice, talking about the hope, and he says, though now for a little while. He says, it's a little while. If you suffer for your faith, you suffer for a little while. And you can endure that. Anything can be endured for a little while. And so he says, listen, put your hope in Christ. That will strengthen you to go through the, the suffering because of your godly living. And then he says, listen, this salvation, these things that you know about Christ, the prophets were like longing to know. They desired to know. They were like, tell me, how does the redemptive story go? And he says, you know it. And so you should be strengthened and encouraged by that. And so now, knowing these things, you're to live a godly life. You're to prepare your minds for action. Be sober-minded. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And then doing that, having done that, verse 14, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. That's putting something off. And then he says, put this on. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Our passage this morning actually ties in really well with the sermon that Travell preached last week where he preached about uh, how we are to called to live as servants. Right? We're able to do this because we are not entangled in earthly things. We're sojourners. And as sojourners, uh, where my kingdom uh, is not of this world, but it is, it is the kingdom of God, we're able to live with different priorities and purposes in this world, in this home in which we reside. And so we're enabled to sacrifice worldly things that we don't really need because we have everything we need in Christ and live lives of servants to one another and to others. It's like Colossians 3, 1 through 4 says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on these things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So there's that future hope and this idea that like 
We should live as sojourners and we should be concerned with heavenly things, not earthly things. We're not entangled in the things of the earth. Like a soldier who enlists and he's no longer worried about civilian affairs. He's worried about serving and doing his duty well. And that's who we are as the people of God. We're sojourners. We're enlisted into God's care and into his company. And so we need to stop being too afraid to proclaim the gospel. We need to stop being too busy to invite our neighbors into our lives. We need to stop being too comfortable to serve. We need to stop being too worried about ourselves to give. Because the things that we give up, all of the sacrifices and all of the suffering that we experience are all done for the glory of God, for the good of others. And so we can have courage to live like that because our hope of the future glory outweighs the trials of living as sojourners. We have a future glory that is greater than our present suffering. And I love that because this this passage ultimately helps us to see redemptive history, past, present, and future. It's all in here. We see what God has done in the person and work of Jesus Christ and what he is doing, that we are being preserved for this inheritance that we will receive, that he is using us now to, to proclaim his excellencies. We are ambassadors of Christ here in this life. So an ambassador is somebody who lives in a foreign land and serves his country of citizenship. Sounds about right as far as being sojourners. We're also ambassadors. And we're to proclaim the excellencies of God in that position. And so we can do that. We can do these things because we have courage in the hope that we have, strength in the hope that we have, this future hope. Right, we see, we see, so we see God's work that he has done. We see God's work that he is doing in the completed work and salvation. He is continuing to work out in our salvation. And we see how we are con- to continue in the faith as we eagerly wait for Jesus' return. We have not seen him, but we love him. We, we cannot see him now, but we believe in him. And we rejoice because of him. Even though we can't see him, we rejoice because of him. And we have confidence that we will obtain the outcome of our faith, which is the salvation of our souls. And this fills us with strength and hope and inexpressible joy. And ultimately, the promise, this promise of future glory gives us, gives every believer the courage to pursue godliness and persevere in this life as we live as sojourners. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would give us this strength from you in the hope of our salvation. These things that we uh, have, have examined from your word today are true, and they can be life-changing. They can be life-altering. And Lord, I pray that your word, as, as the Spirit applies it to our hearts, would convict us and encourage us this morning. And having done that, that we would be obedient to you, that we would walk in faith. I pray that you would give us a faith that, that uh, cannot be shaken, 
Simply that we would see that our faith in Christ makes us unshakable. Not because of anything that we've done, but because of what you have done. And so that we ask that you would give all, get all of the glory and praise for your glorious name. Amen.